This is Paul Nobles once again, and I am here with my trusty cohort, Susan Kleiner. So Dr. Kleiner, walk us through where people can find your materials and information. They can find my information at drskleiner.com, D-R-S-K-L-E-I-N-E-R.com. I'm also at Power Eat on Instagram and Twitter and Dr. Susan Kleiner on Facebook. And you can even go straight to Amazon or any other bookstore site and find my books as well as on awesome. my website. In terms of Eat Reform, I think most people know by now we have a free trial. We also have um, various uh, bundles where you can get a meal plan. And for a lot of people that struggle with just getting started, this is going to be actually a little bit of the topic of, of today. Um, a meal plan will give you kind of a basis for getting kickstarted as you're kind of trying to figure out the habits and such that we're about to talk about. But you can find all of that information and talk to a coach about what the plan looks like specifically for you at www.eatperform.com. All right. Um, I do have some pretty cool information, actually, that's going to be coming out in the next week or two here. So stay tuned for that also. Um, all right. So... I wanted to talk a little bit about what it's like to never have to diet again. And, <laughs> and, and I want to preface this discussion with this idea that you never manage your weight, right? Because I don't think that that's reality, right? But what I'm talking about are these massive, you know, cutting cycles, right? And then we'll, we'll walk through what you would have to do initially, let's say, if you were morbidly obese or something like that. That's something I know a lot about because that represented me for many years of my life, right? And I'll walk you through what it took for me to get from there to where I am now. But the crux of the podcast is going to be on not dieting. Susan, for the most part, doesn't diet. I, for the most part, don't diet, right? I probably do diet a little bit more than Susan does, and I'll explain why, but you should know that I haven't dieted realistically or the way that most people would in about five years, right? And I'll explain why. So I'm going to walk through and then I'll have, have Susan. So normally Susan will walk us through kind of the bigger picture topic. But since I was the obese person, and I don't believe you've ever been obese. Um, the, no, I was uh, a little overweight as a 10-year-old child. And, you know, there's a story to that. But, but it, yeah. it certainly isn't the story for today. <laughs> yeah, so... So basically, I spent a lot of my life. So between, I would say, 20 and 30, I rarely thought about weight at all. I was fairly active. A lot of what the problem that people think that they have is more of an activity problem than it is a, um, you know, a body fat storage problem. But the, the issue 
especially if you maybe come from a household that, you know, wasn't that great nutrition wise, um, is that, you know, you can get away. Like I'm naturally a person that paces a lot, things of this nature. So I was able to manage my weight well. I mean, to explain my weight management system um, between 20 and 30, I would start eating more broccoli right and i would mix in a salad once or twice a week that would mm-hmm. that would be how i meant other than that i would play touch football i would be softball right. and my natural state of being like uh in my 20s i was a car salesman so i was walking around a lot you know when no one really knew how much they were walking right we didn't have right. tickets and, and things of that nature um between 30 and 40 is when things started to get really bad right so Around, I'd say, 30 to 31, uh, I was 185 pounds, and I wanted to get to, to 175, right? And so um, I did whatever was the popular diet at that time. I literally tried virtually everything. Um, and between 30 and 40, I think it's safe to say that I dieted my way to obesity, right? Mm-hmm. So where right. I landed was ultimately around 255, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in those pictures, you know, what you see is someone that, you know, was all in for six to nine months, right? Um, and, and like when I was 185, you know, I got to 175, you know, using what I believe was Weight Watchers at the time. Um, and you know, one of my friends here locally, um, she runs the eating lab at the University of Minnesota, and she describes it like this. Most, um, her name's Tracy Mann. She has a book called um, Secrets from the Eating Lab. And uh, she says that most diet systems are actually meant for you to fail, right? Because if you didn't fail, they have a really horrible business model, right? right? Exactly. Um, and, and so you hear these people that have done Weight Watchers, Slim Fast, all these things many, many times. And they go, it's the only thing that works. Right, well, if right. If it worked, you wouldn't be doing it more than once, right? And, and so they don't really emphasize the part where your calories normalize. And that's going to be what you'll see is the big secret, right? So between 30 and, 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 and 40, you know, really 38, 39. Um, what happened was, is rather than focusing on my physical ability, my, the, the health and, you know, some people do call me out when I say capable. So I want to make sure that people understand what I'm saying when I say capable. What I mean when I say capable for me is using the tools that I have, right? Most people do have, like I have a friend of mine locally, right? He runs a garden. He gardens from his wheelchair, right? That's his capability. That's what he's able to do, right? Um, and so when I talk about being physically capable, it's not, it's not, you know, trying to diminish a group. It's trying to say, use whatever tools you have to be the best you possible, right? And, and the reason why that's important is because it plays a role in the long-term solution, right? So when you look at calories in general, and this is how you can basically describe, you know, what happened to me was I would use calories as the solution, 
right? And, and what we know from a scientific background and things of this nature is that when you're just using calories and you're not working on- You mean on cutting, the, cutting calories cutting from calories, your diet, yeah. yeah. Calories going low, right? So it was really just a one tool approach. Right. right. And so, so when you, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about how I lost the weight, but basically there's, there's no real secret to it. There's no real secret to weight loss in general, right? The, the secret to weight loss is, is to do more, you know, than, than, you know, you're eating, right? And then having times where that kind of reverses. Right. And right. That's I the call it piece. habit change. <laughs> yeah. But th that's the big piece that, that a lot of people, they would, and I can tell you from all my years of dieting is that I got very scared of food. Right. Mm -hmm. um, right. And then what would end up happening? I remember this so well, this was actually, this was my last diet. Right. So I was doing low carb at that time or kind of a version of low carb. Um, and I, I lost what was right about 75 pounds at that time, right? And then the last time, which is basically what became Eat Perform, I lost 100, right? So at 75 pounds, low carb, I was sleeping three to four hours a night. Um, at that time, you know, part of, Abby, I would love to tell you I'm not vain, but, but this is a great example that I am. The big impetus to, to lose the weight was that I was on television more, right? At that time, I was playing poker all around the world, and I was on television more. And it didn't rationally seem, you know, that I shouldn't be able to kind of control my weight. But ultimately, that was part of the story as I lost the, the 100 that I've been able to keep off. Um, that's an also interesting story. Um, but... I was not able to play poker <laughs> that year. Like you'll see all these years that I played and that was one year I missed. And the reason why is because you, you can't, you can't play poker when you don't sleep. Right. I mean, you can, but you can't play a poker tournament, which is eight days, which is what the world series of poker. And I, I literally had people saying to me, Oh, you'll be fine. You'll eventually go to sleep. I'm like, no, seriously. I've not had more than four hours worth of sleep in six months, you know? So it, it was really taking a toll on me, taking a stressful toll on me, things of this nature, but, but I lose the weight. Right. Um, and I have, you know, I don't know any other way to say it, but I hate this term is skinny fat. Right. So I kind of had this washed out look. Um, I was very stressed out at the time, obviously, because I wasn't sleeping. Um, and, and I left, you know, with the idea that I was going to play these poker tournaments that I didn't play because I couldn't get to sleep. And, and I left there and my wife and I went to Hawaii for two weeks and I started to just eat normal and I would just try and see, you know, what was going to happen. Um, this is, I, I did not have a good understanding of dieting at this point, right? I would just, basically do the most drastic thing for as long as time as I could, right? And then just suffer through these really bad ideas to get to a point where um, ultimately I would get each time. And then um, what I decided was that I would be a little bit more active, right? So I went to Hawaii, you know, I'm, I'm at the place where, you know, I'm, 
I'm wear, wearing new clothes, feeling pretty good about myself. But, but, you know, we were starting to add food back in in Hawaii, the carbs that I was avoiding before, things of this nature. Um, but I was much more active than I had been previously. And guess what started to happen? My sleep came back, right? So as I started to add those two things, my sleep started to get better. And I didn't know why, but I knew I wanted more of that and less of the other thing. Um, so when I came back home, I was up 15 pounds, right? Now I was active, like, and I was sleeping and I felt great, right? But my journey was so much about the weight that it just destroyed me because I knew how hard it was to get to 175. And it's funny that the number was 175, right? Because in my latest iteration, I actually went much lower than um, 175 um, at, a, at a much higher calorie point, not cutting calories at that point, though I was fairly active. So within six months, I was at my highest weight ever, right? Um, it, it, it was just so debilitating that, you know, once I saw that at 15, I just wouldn't look at the scale for a long time. And, and I, I probably looked at the scale a couple times, but, but, but at that point I just, I didn't know what to do. I was just completely lost and, and lost all will, <laughs> you know? Um, and it, it was, it was just a dramatic Depression really started to set in at that point, um, and, and I was just lost. And, and um, I know you're going to hate it when I say this, but there's really no other way to say it. You know, I looked at myself in the mirror. There were multiple moments where that were kind of clarifying moments, right? But I could literally beat people for money based on my intelligence, yet I could not understand how to not be fat, right? And even though I tell people not to use that word and, and they, that, that is what I thought to myself at that time when I saw myself in, in the mirror. Now, there's another part of this story that you also need to know. You would have liked 255, Paul, 255 pound Paul was confident, 255 pound Paul was funny, right? But there was this block related to food that I could not solve. Well, the one thing I had never tried was, um, I just wanna double check my microphone because I wanna make sure that I have enough juice and looks like I'm good. Um, the one thing that I hadn't tried was being active while I was dieting and I, actually stumbled across the idea of eat to perform, right? It was not, it was not something that inherently seemed um, like the thing that I needed to do. Like I, I hadn't put all the pieces together at that point, but I thought to myself, if I'm active and I'm doing much more than I did previously, there's no reason why I can't eat normally, right? And so that's what I did. Right. So I went from basically being inactive to kind of eating the same, which, you know, which I started to start to log what, what 
my journey was about at that point was getting data points. I just embraced data in a way that honestly, even e-deformers to this day don't, right? I was tracking everything. And what I found was I was eating more than 5,000 calories a day. So it seemed obvious to me that if I just burned 7,000 calories a day, that I would be at a 2,000 deficit and that I would do fine, which is exactly what happened, right? So I went from 255 to about 225, right? And that was working and I was still kind of eating like an asshole. Um, I mean, I don't mean to use bad language, but, um, but I wasn't eating well at that point. But I knew how much I was eating. I knew the amount that I was eating was important and the amount that I was doing was important. So I started to get sick a lot, right? So I was, I was overdoing, right, my intake. You know, even though I was eating a lot and this and that, and this is where quality of food, and this is about where I started meeting some of my PhD friends. Now, I didn't know Susan at that time, but many of them are friends of Susan to this day, right? Mike Nelson's and people like Alan Aragon, and these are the people that I was starting to get information from. There was an interesting thing, though, in talking to them. There weren't many people that tried to do it the way that I was doing it. So I would ask them questions and they wouldn't necessarily know the answer to those questions. They would go, wait, you're eating what? And you're trying to do what, right? And they knew active people, they knew bodybuilders and things of this nature, but I was just like this normal guy asking them all kinds of weird questions and, 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 and started to embrace like things. That's where, you know, Mike and I, you know, kind of met and, and kind of, got to know each other because, you know, Mike is a data nerd and he wants to track every single thing. So he was perfect for me because the way that you get good at poker is by tracking the habits of your opponents and then tracking your habits and then trying to create scenarios where you can um, extract money from them, right? In this instance, I was trying to extract fat, right? So at about 225, um, quality of food becomes a thing, right? But I'm starting to notice that I'm going to have to eat a lot of food, right? But I did it, right? So, so um, quality of food, and we actually talked about this in the last podcast, which was on inflammation, and Susan made the case for um, quality of food over processed foods. Well, I am now giving you my experience with that, right? My experience was when I was eating mostly processed foods, not eating that smart at, at that point, because that wasn't what that journey was about. But the quality of food was literally kind of hurting my health. And I would get sick for like a week or two because I'm kind of overdoing it. My body's adjusting to it and it's not liking what I'm doing right? Um, it's, a, it's a stress upon my body that is difficult. And, um, you know, what I decided to do was kind of address it by quality of food. So I started to eat meats that were a little bit higher in fats so I could get to the calorie points. Because I needed to make sure that what I wasn't changing was the data. Right, I needed you. The only way that you can do things from a scientific standpoint to figure out what's working and why, right, is to 
keep the data the same. So I was eating the same amount of processed foods as I started to eat whole foods. So I was eating, you know, full things of, of kind of the whole fudge yogurt, right, um, during the day. And I mean, I would have lunch every day and that lunch had 2,500 calories in it. Now, the thing that was great about this was that now I was filling my body with, with all these things that truthfully my body had not been nourished with in a very long time. So my body really took to it very well. And I went from kind of two really long cardio workouts, right? So I would have one in the morning and, and I was kind of in tune to, to high intensity. So I would operate at a pretty high heart rate. And then in the evening, I would do kind of this mishmash of things that I liked that were all really cardio based. Um, and um, eventually, I got to the point where I started to lower the calories to about 3,500 to 4,000 just because I'd figured out that um, I could lose. So I, I got down to about 200 at that point. Right. So I was made significant progress. Um, the biggest step was the health. Right. My body had sort of adjusted to the fact that I was a workout guy now. Um, I wasn't getting sick every other day. You know, um, I wasn't having to take these breaks. So the consistent really started to help me. And that's when, you know, I started to work out with weights. Um, and I started to kind of make these massive gains. Now I started to lose a little bit less weight at that point because I'd started to put muscle on. Some of the pictures that you can see at that point are also kind of skinny fat. And that was where I sort of learned, um, look, I'm gonna blow through too much muscle if I don't go this route, right? Some of this story is gonna overlap and there'll be parts where um, I'll kind of remember it as we're going, right? But we're almost done with the how did I lose 100 pounds part, right? So once I started to get into more weightlifting, um, which was still high intensity, I hadn't really lost the cardio brain part. This was sort of the introduction of CrossFit to me. Um, and uh, it, it, one of the things that I caution people about that lose great deals of weight and it's something that, that I struggle to this day, um, even though from my lowest, I was body fat testing the whole time, right? Because I was getting data points, right? Everything was about data points. To this day, I'm still the person at the University of Minnesota that has the most bod pod recordings, right? <laughs> um, even though I haven't really done it in a very long time. I, I did it, I went back like recently, like two years ago. Um, just to kind of see what was going on. And I'll tell you a little bit of that here. Um, but I want to kind of get to the point where we can move on. Um, long story short, from, from basically about 185 to 200, once I'd introduced, you know, kind of the weightlifting, like weight melted off me. Now, I'm now doing weightlifting with cardio, right, through CrossFit and things of this nature, I'm not doing these big, long cardio sessions. Some of what I was doing was hiking, right? I remember as an example, I tell this story fairly often, um, that uh, I was hiking um, at 15 below one day, right? 
And I will not recommend this to you. <laughs> do not do this. This was not smart, right? But this was really a big time when shiver theory, oh, like the yeah. whole Michael uh -huh. Phelps thing. Right. right? So, the, so the idea was if you, if you add a cold into the mix, right? So I was kind of thinking like this. But I remember, I remember specifically coming to a point in the snow where there was no snow tracks beyond the snow. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to do this because that person stopped there. And what's going to help me get to the next thing is that part. And I'm going to tell you, that's true. That is a fact. If you need to lose a significant amount of weight, you have to go into it like it is a great challenge. You cannot think, oh, I'm just going to take away 500 calories here, or I'm just going to do this. you fundamentally need to change your whole life and you need to change the way that you think and just this process alone will will bring a new perspective to your life anybody that i've seen do this they have an optimism about life that's just different so my lowest at, at a certain point got to be you know, and you see this a lot with people that lose a lot of weight. It now becomes about abs, right? And it now becomes about aesthetic. And I chased that, that, right? Because at that point, there was no question at, the, at this point when I'm like 165, 175, I'm healthy, right? I'm, I look great. You know, I look better. You know, I was 255 pounds, right? At 165, you know, I was looking like my version of Brad Pitt, right? So mm -hmm. I was fine, you know? Um, but I figured as long as I was going to do three workouts a day and things like that, I might as well get to single digits, right? So I did it, right? Um, so here was the cost of single digits. Um, going from 35 to 4,000, I went, you know, basically for like two weeks, went down to, to roughly 2,000 calories. Um, and that took me from about 160 to 149, which was my lowest. Once again, sleep issues came back. My left eye started twitching all nonstop. I couldn't, couldn't stop it, right? All the stress from the workouts, right? And all this, the, 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 you know, physical things that I could see weren't healthy. I just ignored them to get to that point, right? So I get there. So, so I'll back up. So I get to 149, right? And a body fat test, but the University of Minnesota is closed. So I was like, oh my God, yo, I can't believe you know, they, I can't remember what happened, but the machine broke down or, or, or something of that nature. So I went and got body fat tested at another machine, which don't ever do that. It's just so bad. They're, they're all different in, in some kind of way. So what happened was at 149.5, I was 11%, right, on this machine that was totally different, had a different readout. It was just the whole thing. And I was like, oh, so frustrating, right? So, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm just having my pancakes. I'm gonna, gonna do what I know I need to do, right, to kind of normalize things. Um, and within, I'd say, 
you know, three days, you know, I, I was back at 155. And so, um, but I looked leaner, like a lot leaner, right? And, and, and I learned something at that point that I did not know, right? Muscle does not equate, right? Necessarily, like weight does not equate to muscle. And so I don't really know about the reading. I didn't go back and check on the bad machine or whatever. But on Monday when the machine was fixed and I was 155, I was 8%, right? Because mm-hmm. those, those pancakes and that bacon and stuff like this, that, that honestly, I had a new perspective about the weight that I had gained. What was previously something that, I, that debilitated me to the point where I gained more than 75 pounds now I knew was an asset that it was actually part of the journey that food needed to be part of the thing, right? From that point on, basically, I was done dieting. Now, there was a point where for, I'd say, roughly two years, I was able to kind of maintain my weight at, at you know, like I said, 8 to 12%, which was totally fine by me because I was was really tired of just working out all the time. I'd moved down to just one workout a day. I was still working out seven days a week and just doing all this, this, this stuff. But I was able to stay like 154, you know, I think 164 would have been the worst. Um, and, and everything was fine. Body fat was fine. You know, eight to twelve percent. I wasn't necessarily looking to be Adonis. No one was gonna confuse me for a physique competitor at any point, right? So those weren't weren't big things. Um, but after that two year point, um, that was really when Eat to Perform happened. People look at Eat to Perform and they go, "The hundred pounds is when the Eat to Perform happened," right? Um, and we're going to pause here for just a second here because Susan has to turn her bread. And then we'll talk about the part that actually became Eat to Perform. Okay, we had a little pause there so Susan could turn her bread. So we're just ending off with the part where um, that basically becomes Eat to Perform. There's a few things that, that I just wanted to say about that. Um, a lot of people will ask me, um, what would your advice be if, you know, you were talking to someone that was trying to do what you did, right? And the one thing I always say every single time is I wish I did it slower, right? You have to stay focused and it has to be extreme, right? But extreme doesn't mean what you think it does, right? It doesn't mean, you know, to just eat as few as carbs as possible and intermittent fast for 14 days straight and all the, if you chase that rabbit, I assure you, you will not land where you want to go, right? Because where you want to go is where you can enjoy food eventually, where you can become normal, right? And that's really the emphasis of, of why we want to do this, but you do have to stay focused. Your Extreme needs to become an embracing of whole foods, an embracing of a healthy lifestyle. And then the big, big component is going to be activity. And, you know, 
I'm going to say resistance training has to be a piece of it. It doesn't necessarily mean that the piece needs to be this extreme thing, right? You, you can do body weight. You know, there's dudes in prison right now, totally jacked, and they don't have any equipment at all because body weight really does matter, right? So um, that would be my, my suggestion is just to take it slower, embrace the data, things of that nature. Susan, any, any thoughts about that? Because, you know, obviously, I, I, I felt like we can't tell the whole story. We might have to do a series of these, um, you know, as we go. But um, I felt like you couldn't tell the story without telling the 100 pounds of loss part. Right, right. right. So what you described is um, changing habits. Right. Changing old habits or exchanging old habits for new habits. Um, it's said simply, it's not so simply done until you actually can zero in on that's what you're trying to do. And so developing a habit takes mental focus. It takes stick-to-itiveness, right? It takes deciding that you've got a goal that you actually want to achieve and buying into what it takes to get there. And so if you buy into some extreme diet and you stick to it, it, it it's no easier than buying into the whole concept of eating whole foods and getting more exercise. It's the same. You're changing one habit for another. The problem with the extreme dieting, as Paul calls it, is that your expectation is that you will reach an endpoint when you get to go back to what you were doing before. And the false narrative of that is that you're going to stay where you got yourself. And maybe where you got yourself wasn't your goal in the first place. You had no idea really what your goal really was, except changing the number on the scale. So, so what you said there is really important, and I want to highlight this. This was the failure of every previous diet, right? Was that um, the habits, like you said, that, that's all of it, right? All of it. But it was, it, everyone wants to change all their habits at once. And what, what a program like Eat Perform does, what Susan does with her clients, is you're really kind of changing these habits incrementally, right? right. It's, not, it's not something that happens overnight. Um, normal, I eat normal, I eat the same stuff that I ate back then, right? Occasionally. Sure. But what I find is, is that, and we talked about this in the inflammation podcast, is does it make you feel good? Well, sometimes you'll eat something because you have a memory of it. Or, or things of that nature, or maybe you kind of lose the memory of it every now and again. There's this one place in town, um, this Mexican place. Every time we eat there, um, we don't walk away feeling great, but it just holds a, a place in our hearts where we, we just go there and sort of forget every three to six months <laughs> that it doesn't make us feel great. But it was just such a big part of our life. And, and 
you know, we, we actually do kind of enjoy the atmosphere a little bit. And, and, and those things in moderation are fine, right? right. Th- those so aren't you, going to stop. Right, you. right. But when you start out at 100 pounds overweight, which is what you found, is that you are eating a lot. If you're not active at 100, at 100 pounds overweight, you are eating a lot of calories. And so the margins, and this goes in with poker, betting, or weight loss, the margins are so large, it doesn't take a lot to get an effect. So you can drop out a thousand calories a day, which is what people often talk about, and you can drop 30 pounds without doing much else, right? You, your margins are so large. But as you start to drop body weight, and you've dropped out some of the calories that you were maintaining that body weight at, your margins are narrowing. And so just dropping calories becomes much more difficult because your margins are, you're closer to actually what you need to to stay alive and be able to sleep well and do all the things that you want to do functionally. And the body isn't going to respond as quickly because you're closer to what your actual need is to maintain that weight. And so now what do you do? So that's where, well, you can go into extreme caloric deficit and not sleep well and not think well and not be able to sustain that at some point. Uh, and at some point, perhaps lower your metabolic rate. Um, but the, but the easier choice and the healthier choice and ultimately the more sustainable choice is to add activity, which is increasing your calorie burn, which helps increase your metabolism all day long, which gets you where you want to go in a much better fashion. And again, I think deciding what your goal, what is your goal? Is your goal to just drop numbers on a scale, really? That that number that has no relationship to anything except the mass of your body to gravity, that has no relationship to anything. If your goal it's not, it's is not satisfying. No, if it and it's very external. And external rewards are not satisfying in the long term. And so what is your goal? Is it to be healthier? Is it to be able to have a sustainable physique for a long time? Is it to look better in your clothes? Is it to feel better? in your day? Is it, you know, what are your real goals? And then look at, well, what does it really take to get there? And to get there is not extreme dieting. And to sustain that over the long haul is to find what I call, you know, I've always called the limitless diet, meaning that you don't have restriction or limits that you place on yourself because when you go through your day like that regarding food, and food is so intimate to our lives in so many places all day long, if you're limiting and restricting and that's what your focus is, it will limit your horizons. You will, your life will be be restricted. Whereas if you want an expansive life, then it's just changing the habits. 
so that it, and just is the wrong word to use because again, it's not simple, but once you actually do it, you don't have to think about it anymore. Just like you didn't think about eating that box of donuts back in the day, you didn't think about it. You just No, did because it. I, I was active. I mean, people don't realize that the concept of dieting and the concept of fitness the way that we know it now is relatively young, right? Like when you think of- Right, you never you had know, to think about this before, right? When you well, were chopping well, down- what I'm going with is that we were an industrial economy. We were in the agricultural economy, right? So the foods that you ate, you know, that were highly caloric with eggs and bacon and, and hash browns and stuff like that, you would go out in the field and you would work it off or you would go to the steel plant and, and do this and that. Right. And but we also, we... just to, not to miss the point, which is super important in the midst of that, is that yeah. while we may have had eggs and bacon and oatmeal for breakfast, we didn't have the abundance of access to food all day long and snacking. That was not, we didn't have, you had to make that food. We didn't have food in a box that you could get at the grocery store and without any effort or caloric output on our own parts, have the abundance of food availability at all times, all day long, night and day. We didn't so, have that. So we may have had a bolstering breakfast, but then we didn't eat again. Well, I don't, I don't know that that's true. I mean, cause you think of steak and potatoes, right? For dinner, right? You, no, you, but I mean, you would eat these meals, but we didn't have food in a box. I mean, that's a yeah. fairly relative, Re, re, you know, recent yeah, phenomenon, but, 1960s. So I hear you, but but at the same time, you know, I, I, I feel like we were very active, you know, yes. I mean, even going into the, you know, 40s, 50s, and then, and, you know, now all of a sudden at 60s, you start to see the Weight Watchers and the Zone Diets in the 70s and these types of things. And we become obsessed with eating as little as possible, right? And we sort of forget how active we were relatively recently, right? So we moved towards a service economy. We're sitting down more. Right. And I, I do see movements towards more activity as part of the answer. Um, I do want to say one thing that I, that I neglected, and, and I meant to say this earlier. One of the things that um, I'm very much against and I talk about a lot is this concept of earning food, Right. This is not what we're talking about no, when we no, talk no, about right. increasing burns and weightlifting and things like this. You're not doing these things to earn food. You're doing things like, like whatever you do, whatever you decide to do. So if you want to do boot camp for eight weeks, knock yourself out, right? But, but after the eight weeks, this is what I did. And if you want to know what was the secret of my success, this is it, right? After the boot camp time, the time where I got to the 149 and the 8% and stuff like that, I was done. Like, to the point where I was able to mentally get to 165 after getting to 149 and be totally cool with it. That was never part of my journey. I think many of the people listening to this right now, a big part of your journey is to get to 149, stay there rigidly right? Mm -hmm. You're going to fail. You will not make it like that, 
right? You have to allow, if you think of it like this, where you're using food as an ally and, and food goes up and you're now lifting weights, you're naturally going to hold on to muscle and potentially build muscle, right? So let's just use math there. And let's say that you were a relatively lean person that wasn't doing things right. And now you are doing things right. And you gain 10 pounds of muscle, right? But you also gained five pounds on the scale. You gained, you netted five pounds of muscle there, right? And, then, and, and of course, that's a, a scenario that's more favorable to my argument. But my point being is that right now, I weigh 200 pounds and you go, whoa, you weighed 150 pounds, right? And then you were 255 at one point. Aren't you scared that you're going to be obese? I have 40 pounds more muscle, right? So this was the part where I said, I'm going to talk about why I diet a little bit more than Susan. So um, I've been fairly open about about uh, my testosterone got low. It was actually really low when I tested it um, at, at a very early part. So I was probably 39 and my, mm-hmm. uh, my free testosterone was only 10. Now, 10 is kind of borderline for a guy that age, right? But it did not bring any alarms or anything like that. Well, when you get to be 50, 51, you know, and I tested once again at 10. I actually think I was like 11.5. Um, but because of my level of activity and because of, of some of the physical things I was starting to feel, um, I made the decision to do testosterone replacement. Now, testosterone replacement is something you really have to think about because the minute you start testosterone replacement, your body is basically done producing testosterone. So it is a very big decision, and it was a very big decision for me. It was something that, you know, I knew about, like I said, for 10 to 12 years before I decided to make the jump. So you go, well, gosh, Paul, you know, I mean, 200, gosh, that's a lot. Well, the one thing I didn't want to do when I started testosterone replacement was to hold my food back artificially right? Just grasp on to, well, I've got to stay, you know, at the time I was 182, right? Um, But I wanted to know what my full potential could be, right? Not what this thing, and once again, this is another thing that I think people do wrong. What Susan is saying is, if you're going to do something, if you're going to have a goal, do it in abundance. I love weightlifting. Not all of you would love weightlifting. So you might need to find paddleboarding or you might need to find rock climbing or whatever. But I'm just going to tell you, if you don't find something or, you know, these warrior ninja warrior classes that are coming up with, if you don't find something you love, you will not stick to it because you have to have passion for all of this to stick to it right? Because, you know, people look at people that are into fitness as if we're crazy people, right? Like if you're sedentary, like I certainly did before I started being fit. I, I, why would people run and waste all their time? I mean, that's like two hours a day. You could be watching a football game. Well, that provides a level of joy. If it does not provide a level of joy and you're doing it as a task to get a result, you will fail. 
I'm, I've seen so many people fail. And, and, I, and I, I, the, I did kind of want to step back on one other thing. All you people doing that extreme stuff, like, like Susan was talking about 1,000 calories down and, and whether it be low carb or IF, which, you know, like I said, I did low carb. That was the last diet I was on. I still am a proponent of, of intermittent fasting because I think there are times that managing calories matters, and that's all intermittent fasting is, right? I'm not a fan of multi-day fasting. I'm not a fan of a lot of other things for reasons that have nothing to do with this podcast, but ultimately what you're trying to do with your food and your activity is to accelerate your metabolism. And that's it. That's the answer. That's the answer to the question of this podcast of how do you diet and stay the same? And you go, well, gosh, Paul, you were 149. Now you're 200 pounds. You know, even though you have a lot of muscle, doesn't that mess with your brain a little bit? Yes. Yes is the answer right? But, but it's that passion for the things that I love that allow me to refocus on the things that really matter, right? All I'm really worried about is health and making sure that, that I'm consistent with what I do. I'm not, I'm a horrible CrossFitter. I'm not even that great of a weightlifter. I can't run all that great. I mean, there's so many things that I can't do very well. Um, hiking, right? Hiking is a big part. I do rucks, right? That I'm pretty good at. But you don't need to be that good at just carrying a heavy backpack. But because I have a strong frame and I'm 200 pounds, it's much easier than, than it would be if somebody wasn't that, right? But the focus on holding on to I, I've seen more people fail holding on to these rigid goals than have ever succeeded. And I've had seen way more people be successful that are much less rigid. So when you look at the people and you go, Oh, my friend did low carb and he lost 50 pounds. Yeah. Talk to him in six months. Right. Because we can get you that same exact 50 pounds doing it without the extremes. And you want to know what happens when you lose 50 pounds? Your joints don't hurt as much. You're able to do more things. You're able to have more energy. Your sleep now becomes better. You know, literally people with issues related to sleep and sleep apnea and stuff like that, weight loss is favorable for these types of things. Right. So now guess what happens when you sleep eight hours a night? You have more energy to do things throughout the day if you don't have uninterrupted sleep. Now, sleep is one of the most underrated things as it relates to fat loss, because one, it gives you the energy throughout the day, assuming that we're talking about a proper amount of food most of the time to do all these great things that potentially get you the muscle, and then when you sleep, that's when your muscle is recovering and potentially getting bigger and all this, this and that. But what I don't love when people do is they go, well, that person has abs, but I love running. And so now I'm gonna stop running and do an ab program. If you wanna do that for eight months, that's great. But if you're stopping doing something you love for something that you kind of want to look like for five minutes. I'm just going to tell you, virtually any, and Susan knows this to be true, 
virtually any bodybuilder that you know that on Instagram looks amazing, right? And you can count every single striation on their abs and you can kind of see the outline of their spleen and stuff like that. They had that for like five minutes, right? Talk to them a week from that point and they have water bloat and things like that. But guess what? They still look like the person that you would probably want to be right? Like, like once the food comes back, once they're working out with energy and things of this nature, my biggest criticism of bodybuilding is that you don't become a bodybuilder. You don't, you don't actually do the thing that requires bodybuilding. You become like this dieter. You talk to me, I say this all the time. You know, I'm sure you might know one or two. I can think of one or two that are, are fairly decent, but usually there's, there's some help going on there and that's fine. I don't have any judgment on that one way or another, but you show me a physique competitor or a bodybuilder or a bikini competitor um, that has a good relationship with food and that'll be the first one I've ever seen, right? I, and so people go, well, why, you know, have you ever helped? Yes, I've worked with competitors and I have seen people that, are ultimately in a in a decent spot but i would not say that they had a even even through my work with them right i had one lady compete came in number one in her division all that other type of stuff in a very high national competition right did not cut for the competition won the competition looked great one of the best in the world to say that she, you know, has a great relationship, she would tell you that she doesn't have a great relationship with food, right? It's a process. It's something that you're going to be working through. As I'm telling you all of this, I'm not perfect, right? I'm not, I'm not, I don't have it all figured out. Like right now, as an example, the one thing that I have that is a hallmark for what I do is consistency, right? I'm able to stay focused, but the one thing, this would be another thing. Stop diminishing your workouts. If you go for a walk a day for an hour, you worked out, right? That's part of my consistency. If you took away all my walks, then I wouldn't have any consistency, right? Because, Because I can't always get to the gym. One of the things that I found out recently that was really interesting because of my whoop was I'd always struggle with evening workouts and I kind of wondered why. And I started to really start to embrace the data again and started to realize a lot of these evening workouts were coming after days where I'd been on the phone most of the day pacing around the house. And I was noticing that my strains on those days were high right? And the steps were the high on those days. And so what ended up happening was um, I was doing a workout, right? Stop thinking that your active job isn't a workout. Stop thinking about all the steps that you're doing isn't a workout, right? And there's a part where it becomes a detriment, right? Part of why I was able to get small was because of a lot of cardio. Once I started to kind of change the balance of the cardio. I, I believe strongly in cardio. I believe that runners are the most gangster people in the whole world. And you want to know why? Because they could stop at any point. 
At any point, they could stop and go get ice cream. At any point, they could jump back in a car. Runners are the most gangster people you have ever met because it just takes the tenacity. And if you've done any kind of long endurance running, you know, there's a pain level to it that most people just can't handle, right? Um, and so, so that's it, right? That's it. Allow yourself some flexibility. You know, when I, like right now, you know, um, right now I have my ceiling at about 205. You know, when will I cut back? I don't know. But every day I'm at a, what is essentially a surplus. And doing resistance training is allowing me to have more muscle on my body, right? Um, and so I'm not in this huge hurry. I would be in more of a hurry if I wasn't doing cardio, right? Because I think what happens with bodybuilders, and once again, this is a little bit what we were talking about earlier, is they become so anti-cardio that it, it actually works against their health, right? Um, and, and that's something that, that as long as I keep in place, I'm not in as big of a hurry, but I'm also, I, I don't need to count every ab, right? Like, it's just not important to me. Um, I, I mean, if I take off my shirt at the beach, people know I work out. Awesome. That's great. You know, but for me, I was not, you know, my, my daughters were very young. You know, there were three and four once I started to get fit. You know, um, they have shared my paradigm for health you know, into their age, which is what I wanted to be, be which I, was what I wanted. Um, my wife and I, we, we, we don't work to, out to be physique competitors. It's not important to us, right? Um, a lot of the message, yeah, we can help a lot of people. You know, a lot of people get abs, do an eat to form. Great, that's awesome. Great work, right? If that's important to you and you can do it with a healthy lifestyle and things of that nature, I love being a part of those journeys. But I also really love being a part of the 219-pound woman, right, who is now active and gradually working towards wherever she wants to be. And here's a new slash. Maybe she wants to be at 219, and maybe that's okay, right? Some of us are built in a way that that is okay, right? And so there are body types where that might be fine. Right. I see, I see people where we put, we put out all manner. If you go to our Instagram, you'll see all manner of body types. Right. And the one thing that I hate is when people say, keep going. Cause you don't know what that person put in to get mm -hmm. to that point. Right. Mm -hmm. And so keep going drives me nuts. Right. Um, because that person might've done a lot to get to where they are right there. I think the problem, once again, getting back to the poker a little bit, is it, well, it, it actually do, does translate to poker. What, if you want to know the difference between a good poker player and a bad poker player, a good poker player isn't all in very much. The bad poker player is all in a lot. And they have to rely on luck and they have to rely on all mm -hmm. these other things. That is a direct translation to what your journey needs to be. The more all in you will be, the more you will use the will, right? That passion that we talked about 
you're just not going to become as passionate about it if every single moment. And, and that's, the, that's my biggest concern for all my people that lose the weight. And that's the thing I counsel them about every single time. What are you going to be after this? Right? Because right now, there's been so much focus to be who you are now. And that's great. You got there. Time to move on. Make a new goal. Right? You probably do need a new goal. Right? But allow yourself joy in this process. Right? I wrote an article today, and, and I'm not going to get too into it. But it was about the movie Slumdog Millionaire. In the, in the movie Slumdog Millionaire, there's just this really striking scene where he falls into this just pile of shit, right? And if you saw the movie, it just scars you for life, right? <laughs> and what I was saying is, is that when you embrace food as an ally, when you decide to eat the cupcakes, when you decide to drink the wine, when you decide to make the bread, when you decide to do all the things that you thought was bad at one point, that's not enough. You have to be able to allow yourself to have the scale go up and be okay with it as part of your joy, right? Because it, if you, and we can actually end on this note, um, if you don't allow yourself to have the scale go up after your joy and there's just this endless guilt, you're not there. That's just jumping back into the pile of shit, mm -hmm. right? And so you'll always be in the pile of shit. Eventually, you have to move on to where the pile of shit is the problem. The endless cardio, the salads for three weeks because you ate a cupcake. It's just one cupcake. Just go back to normal and you'll be fine, right? You don't need these extremes. And so when we talk about making sure that you have something that you enjoy, try and keep some level of resistance training. Make sure that calories go back to normal and normal is probably a lot higher than you think it is, right? That's how you recover, right? Now, if you have a lot of weight to lose, we went over that part, right? But when you do that and you hit that goal, move on, become a different person, right? You've made all these changes. You got one last change to make. And that one last change is you have to become a new Paul, right? or Susan, or whoever you are, right? I love people like Susan who've been able to live their whole life in a healthy way and have all these habits built up. And when you look at Susan and I, you would go, these guys know a lot about habits. They know a lot about nutrition and exercise and things of this nature. Susan and I are probably more humble than many of you are related to what we know and what we don't know. Because that's where you sort of get right? You sort of get to that point where you realize that learning is part of the journey and that's who you need to become. All right, Susan, I know you have to turn your bread. So, so you're on, you're on a time limit here. Well, this was great. You know, I think your story and your advice is right on. Um, you know, I, it all, again, as I said, it's, it's a series of habits. And so if we look at, you know, get, 
getting to your goal first takes figuring out what your goal really is. That's the first thing. And, and identifying your goal, not the goal that society has for you, not the goal that your partner says they want you to be, not any, what is your goal? And why do you want to get to that goal? Understand all of that because those are the things that sustain you through getting to the goal, through sticking to the moments where you're at a crossroads. And, and then finding the strategy that helps you change old habits into new habits. And once you have done that for one habit and you've stuck to that one and you've really developed a new habit, then you believe in yourself then you go, I can do this next one because I've done the first one. First one is the hardest one. The next one is easier because now you believe in yourself and you can do it. And so you add another one. And each time you pat yourself on the back and you say, good going. I, I've been able to, to stick to this. Now what's the next one? And, and before you know it, you have created a new lifestyle. And and you will seek that world. You will begin to seek that out. And when you fall off and you have, you know, either you choose to, to, to do something else for a period of time or you fall off, life happens, you can't do the things that you have, you have the expectations to do, you will notice it so quickly that you don't feel as good as you did before that you will want to get back to where you were and keep going because that's what makes you feel good because it's really about how you feel. It's not about what you weigh because as Paul said, if it was about what you weigh, he'd still be at 149 pounds. It's not about what he weighs. It's about how he feels, the other goals that he has for himself and when you start to feel good about yourself, you want to keep going in that direction. It becomes an internal motivation, which is the most powerful, which is how you then stick to where you want to go. And, and, and the extremes may work for a brief period of time, but you won't stick to those. And so if you find that you go up and down and up and down and up and down, that's not getting you to your goal. And so, so that's, that's what the whole point of his conversation is, that it is a series of changing habits. Actually, in um, The Good Mood Diet, I talk about it somewhat. I give you sort of exercises toward that. In Power Eating, I actually have the research tool that I use with my clients. It is, it's in the book. It's in the new power eating. And so you can set it up for yourself. And it's what Paul uses and eat to perform. It's no, it's all, you know, all these different strategies that are evidence-based are, are similar. They have a different story. They have, may have a different voice, but we're all trying to help you get on that same road so that you reach a point where your diet, your exercise, the other things that you do for creativity, um, relationships, all of that become seamless. So but your bread is 
Your bread right, is my ready bread is ready to turn, but it's not mindless. It's seamless in your life, but it's never mindless in your life. Your being mindful is is something that is a conscious act. So, last thing I'm going to say is that the people that want to lose all the weight as fast as possible, you're going to find that you're not fixing the right problem. That what you find when you do it slower and more deliberate changing habits as you go is that you're actually addressing your real goal because you're looking at it right now and you go, what's my most immediate pain? My most immediate pain is that my weight is high, right? But that's not your real problem. Your real problem is all these little things that you need to fix along the way. And as you fix those things, like Susan said, that fixes your confidence, self-esteem, things of this nature, but you have to add that, that other thing where food becomes part of an ally in your journey along the way. And when that happens, then you've really figured it out because everyone knows tons of people, including myself, who lost a lot of weight and then gained it all back. But the reason why is is I had the wrong purpose. Once you start to develop that purpose along the way, that's how you fix the real problem. And that's how you can stay away from a life of dieting. All right, Susan, go get your bread. And I appreciate everybody listening. And we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Paul. Take care. At ease.